Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton, and this is the fourth episode in our series, Freedom from Fascism, a Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis. Today, I have three objectives. First, we will talk about the deceitfulness of propaganda and how, in practical ways, it influences our minds. Second, I will show how Jesus Christ, not the Church, is the antidote to all forms of mass formation psychosis. Third, we will discuss the culture war and the role of the Christian in society. As I said in the last episode, Christian churches, especially when they were bonded to states, creating state churches, were the masters of mass formation psychosis, not the victims. The world they created, oversaw and ruled was one of violence, malice and oppression and lasted for centuries. The greatest threat to faith in this world is not the government or corporations or the World Economic Forum, but the Church, the Christian Church, especially those people in power in the Church who long for a return to their places of power in society when they had the sword. The Church remains the source of true mass formation psychosis. Many Church leaders are masters of manipulation indoctrination and hypnosis, and we live in the ruins of the world they created, a thousand years of tyranny, death and suffering. The fascists and communists and democrats of the 20th century and 21st centuries are just the copycats. When fascists and communists spoke of freedom, part of it was freedom from the power and violence of the Christian church. You see, there is a profound difference between religion and faith. They are not the same. People in power love to equate Christianity with religion, but Christianity is about faith, not religion. Religion is about rituals, rules and institutions. Faith is a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. As I said last week, religion leads to the church while faith leads to Jesus Christ. One is external, the other is internal. One is about membership, the other is about identity. Fascists within governments are experiencing a renaissance in the West, and there's also corporate fascism. They all have their agenda, their plans and ambitions, but the greatest threat to the Christian, to the life of faith, is the Church. The greatest evil in the Church are the soul catchers, those agents of hypnosis, those men and women who use their position in the church to prevent you from finding God and true freedom. These soul catchers take advantage of weak-minded people, lure them in, keep them trapped in guilt and shame, and make sure the money keeps coming. For many people, religion is a deal they think they are making with God, But in fact, it's a contract they made with people, and they didn't read the fine print. It is very hard to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ in a corrupt church. But there are some brave souls even in the darkest of places. Men and women of faith in those churches, few as they are, are the true warriors of our age. A Christian standing up for Jesus Christ in any of these corrupt religious institutions is a sight to behold. 
They are there for true freedom found in Jesus Christ. But they fight a war on a dozen fronts, against moneyed power, against class distinctions and evils, against church tradition and ritual, against a culture of abuse and toxicity, against heritage in the past, against clerical power and abuse, against malicious gossip and slander, and against racism and prejudice. These few men and women are the saints of the faith, fighting in the darkness with the light of Christ in what John the Apostle called synagogues of Satan, dark places, places of oppression, misery and despair. There are no darker places than in some churches today. Many church leaders care nothing for Christ, nothing for God. For them it's about power, their power over others, their money and their reputation. The goal of mass formation psychosis is the evil intent to influence others for pernicious gain. The target of all propaganda is the mind. The mind is the seat of the spirit, a sacred place. Propaganda is foreign, intrusive and invasive. The goal is distraction, to shift our attention to new topics, ideas and principles. Nobody has access to the mind except you and God. Not even the devil has access. But propaganda is about distraction, shifting attention and creating new habits of the mind. In other words, we are to remember some things and forget others. An example of this is the way we think about the world. The past is to be forgotten as quickly as possible. Before 9-11 in the West, we lived in a world of relativism, a live-and-let-live world. There was space for different points of view to flourish, compete and coexist. Those days are gone. Since 9-11, the West, which I assume to include America, its satellites and allies, Britain and Europe, has rejected relativism in favour of absolutism. Absolutism teaches that there is only one answer to every modern problem. Most modern problems are technical or administrative, reflecting the growing complexity of society. Most modern problems have no clear answer. We must swim and navigate in a world of ambiguity. We all, however, are living in a world of post-traumatic stress disorder created by America. After 9-11, America was traumatised by the fact that they had enemies in the world and not everyone in the world loved and adored them. Absolutism killed relativism dead and reintroduced into politics good and evil. First, it was Osama bin Laden. He was evil. Then the Taliban. Then ISIS. Then Donald Trump. Then the unvaccinated. And now Russia. America changes its mind so often now we have a hard time catching up. We are told that Trump is the Antichrist, and once people accept that, he's already gone. Now Putin is the Antichrist. Who will it be tomorrow? The shift in mass formation psychosis is seen clearly in the ditching of COVID hysteria in favour of war in Ukraine. Putin is now the new Trump, the embodiment of pure evil. We are all told to hate Putin. This is the new loyalty test, like the vaccines. Prove your patriotism to the nation. Sit down, shut up and do as you're told. 
Forget about Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria and Libya. Stop talking about the Taliban, collateral damage and civilian deaths. That's yesterday's truth. The new truth is that war is bad and nations that go to war are evil, like Russia. So the hypocritical West condemns Putin for doing what the West was doing for 20 years. Now they're talking about war crimes in the Ukraine. But what about the war crimes in the Middle East? The Ukraine civil war is a distraction from the recent disturbing revelations about the adverse effects of the vaccines and the lies told by many people in power during COVID hysteria. Nations shut down over one case of COVID and now thousands of people have the disease and everyone is vaccinated, but the lockdowns are over. That does not make sense. The war in the Ukraine is a blood feud. This is revenge. This is a family dispute, nasty and brutal. Revenge and blood feuds are the worst conflicts in the world. You must take a side, Michael. Why aren't you condemning the new Antichrist, Putin? Why should I? Don't I care? Of course I care. I care about the 15 or so progress conflicts in progress in the world today. Look at Ethiopia. Ethiopia is being torn apart by a civil war that began in November of 2020. Thousands of civilians are being killed or massacred. There are over 2 million displaced people at least. Thousands of soldiers have been killed and there is now a humanitarian catastrophe. Yemen has been in civil war since 2014. Over 140,000 people are said to have died. There's active terrorism in a number of countries, such as Algeria, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mozambique, Tanzania. And there are civil wars in places like Myanmar, Libya, Mali and Syria. And there's ethnic conflict in the Sudan. So those of you who know the mind of God and know that Putin is absolute evil, which side is God on in all of these conflicts? Tell me that. Is their suffering any less important than Ukraine? Are children in Africa less important than Ukrainian children? Does the colour of your skin and the wealth of your nation determine the attention and priority of the West? How sad that it still does. Do we see hashtag Ethiopia or hashtag Africa peace? Maybe. Do corporations stop credit cards in these nations or go after the filthy rich oligarchs? No, they don't. Who is selling weapons to all sides in these wars? That's another good question. Innocent children are forgotten if they were born in the wrong part of the world. If Ukraine was not in Europe, you would not have known about the war, and many people would not even care. Many people in power in the West today believe that the life of a white European is worth more than the life of an African or an Asian or anyone else, really and they have for centuries. But God doesn't. God sees all human life as the same, and he sees everyone the same. Everyone is on the same level for God and the same importance, and perhaps that's why people in power hate God. He sees them in the same way he sees the most irrelevant of those under their power. Propaganda is always about deceit. It's why it's used. Hypnotism in COVID focused the world's attention on on the now debunked bat story. 
the world was transfixed upon this natural mystery of a runaway virus, elusive and intangible. Since it came from a lab, this is just another sordid, human-created catastrophe. The convenience of the bat story meant that the world could blame it all on a freak of nature. But since it came from a lab, then we need to ask, what were they doing in the first place? There are too many people whose careers and reputations are bound up in the fake bat theory, and too many people whose careers and reputations are bound up in the COVID hysteria. Once we know this, the search for the truth is more predictable. Like the kid with his hand in the cookie jar I mentioned last week, the myth of COVID is that that this is about a virus. Wrong. This is about human pride, human arrogance, human presumption and human opportunism. The COVID disaster has human fingerprints all over it. Poor bats deserve an apology. They're always hanging around somewhere, so apologise to them next time you see one. As I said last week, propaganda targets the mind and is external, is clothed in deceit. But it is possible to resist. Many choose not to. It's easier to go with the group, to do as you're told, to follow the crowd. But every now and again, you meet someone different, who doesn't follow the crowd, who thinks for themselves, who is settled in their mind, walks free, says things you cannot believe, challenges the status quo, is humble, and genuinely cares about you. They don't have an agenda, and they live an ordinary life. That is the kind of person Jesus was. His time was a time much like our own. Propaganda was rife. There was political intrigue, conflict, war, chaos. People took sides. People knew how to hate and divide. And they knew who was to blame and who was guilty and who was innocent. Jesus was different. That's one of the reasons they killed him. But when Jesus arrived, he broke the hypnotic spell that rested on the minds of a few people who were going about their ordinary lives and doing ordinary things. Jesus spoke clearly and lovingly to people in words that destroyed the hypnotic power that oppressed their minds. And he can do that today for us. Jesus speaks to us in words that can destroy the counterfeit freedom so cherished by the world today. There is one verse that comes to mind. Jesus said many things, and they are recorded in the four Gospels and scattered through some letters in the New Testament. But one saying of Jesus really spoke to me. And when I read it, I realized this saying of Jesus kills propaganda dead. This is a saying that is an antidote to any form of mass formation psychosis that the world or the church throws at us. This short saying of Jesus is found in one of the books written by a man called John, who followed Jesus for three years, probably written in the middle to the end of the first century. It's a fair assumption that the words were probably spoken by Jesus to his disciples at that time, and there's no reason to expect otherwise. Certainly they are not words that would easily be forgotten. It is also likely that Jesus repeated himself on many occasions and there is no reason to expect that he would not, as this is the way of all good teachers. John was a close friend of Jesus. 
he was the one who was given the care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in front of the crucifixion as her son hung on the cross, dying. He liked to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved as a brother. This verse is only short, and it is this. I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Jesus said this to eleven of his disciples while he was enjoying the evening meal, the night of his betrayal by his close friend Judas. The disciples of Jesus had asked him where he was going. Jesus replied by saying that he was returning to his Father, to God. His disciples did not want him to leave. They were his students and friends. It was a shock to them that Jesus was leaving them. His answer was that all who desired to follow God could only go through him. He was the way to the Father. He was the truth about the Father, and he would bring life to all the Father gave him. It was, in a way, a strange response to the question. But in that one verse, Jesus summarized the entirety of his message. It is a summary of the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus did not say that he was a way, or one of many truths, or that he came to preach a new truth or teach a new way, but that he was the way, the truth, and the life. What Jesus said was deeply radical, controversial, and subversive, especially today. What Jesus says here in these few words is the heart of the Christian message. Notice what he does not say. He does not say that church is the way, or the church is the truth, or the church is the life. Jesus does not say that a code of behavior is the way, the truth, or the life. Nor does he say that a set of rules, regulations, or doctrines are the way, the truth, and the life. The focus is himself. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father, and he is the source of life. The way, the truth, the life. These are the words for our time. Words about freedom. This verse is a direct attack on those who want to use mass formation psychosis against our minds, our hearts and our wills. This verse is the antidote to the spell of the COVID hysteria. The power to change your life is contained in that one sentence of Jesus Christ. And your entire life depends on your response to what Jesus is saying. The only thing that matters in life is what you think of Jesus Christ. The rest is background noise. But our minds have already been infected, affected and attacked. And this verse makes little sense or little impact on us because our immediate reaction is that it's not relevant to our lives. That part of our brain and mind that used to think about important things, things that matter, has long been occupied by something else entirely, an invasive, intrusive thing, and that thing is called politics. Let me explain how the world worked in the past, before 9-11. Politics was on the margins of life. We used to have this thing called representative democracy. In this system, we appointed people to act on our behalf. These people would do a job for us on our behalf. And then a few years later, we would assess their performance and judge whether we should allow them to continue. 
Everyone knew at the time that real power in democracy resides with the bureaucracy. Government officials are the ones who run the state effectively, not political parties or politicians. These public officials have their own agendas, their own factions, their own fiefdoms, and to a large extent much of the political debate and conflict is simply a turf war between various factions within this political system. Parties and civil society are recruited to play a role in this largely hidden political process. Bureaucrats often run the wars, and they ran the COVID hysteria, and we saw this in the unscientific arbitrary nonsense of many of the rules around COVID, down to the minutest detail of our lives, pages and pages and pages of rules governing every step, every breath, every conversation. Only a bureaucrat could write those documents. Bureaucrats and their corporate masters are the real source of power in a democracy, but we've known that for years. But something else happened after 9-11, and that is that we were infected with a disease, a disease of politics. We cannot let politics go. We have become obsessed with politics. These days, elections are irrelevant because we can neither let elected people do their job nor remain silent about every single decision they make. We scrutinise their every move, their every decision, their every thought, their every statement, their every relationship, holding them up to standards not even the best of us could attain. We want to hear from our politicians every day, and we talk about them every day. They want us to talk about them every day. And so it goes both ways, this political disease. And we listen, and we listen, and we listen. Oh, and we are the experts on everything. What this means in practical terms is that we no longer believe in representative democracy. Deep down, many people despise representative democracy and everything it stands for. The election is just another episode in our political madness. Many people do not trust elections these days, and so it is what happens between elections that really matters. This obsession with politics is possibly a result of a deeper problem in America that has been around for at least a century. America is the centre of the Western system, and so this problem has spread everywhere because it, um, it flourishes wherever American ideas and cultures are significant. And this is known as the culture war. The culture war is the source of most division in America. It is the political language of society, the way society defines itself, how it views itself, and the export of that view to the rest of the world. The culture war has made the West a global insane asylum. The culture war is not really about culture or cultures, be they ethnic or geographical or historical or spiritual. The culture war is national culture or the values of the elites, the rules of behaviour, the expected norms for people in power and how they view themselves. In reality, many people in power live boring lives, uneventful lives and Many of them are marketed products or brands. If you strip off the outer layers, they're like the rest of us, quite normal. But the culture war is about how nations define themselves, the cultural views, the laws and regulations of society. In the absence of a monarch, king or a queen, or the lack of faith in democracy, the culture war has stepped in to become the gel, the glue that holds the nation together. It is at best a crude caricature of any society, even the simplest. 
because if we step back, we see the holes and the cracks. If we stare at it for too long, the entire edifice will crumble. It is an illusion, a mirage, a fiction. The culture war is the wallpaper to cover the growing mould on the wall. It's the bandage to cover the gangrene leg. It's the face powder to put over the face drained of blood. Sadly, many Christians are deeply involved in fighting the culture war. They cannot tell the difference anymore between their own faith and their political struggles. They fight every day. Abortion, same-sex marriage, sex, gender issues, climate change, feminism, the list goes on. Many large churches and established churches are also involved. Many churches effectively use mass formation psychosis in the culture in the same way governments and media do. Their goal is to make you angry, make you point fingers at who is to blame, and tell you what the simple solution is that will make the problem go away. Usually the problem is said to be a group of people, and the churches cultivate hatred and loathing of them to the point where families are divided, relationships are fractured and hatreds grow. None of this is Christian. Churches often weaponize their people. It's awful to see in real time. The main point of mass formation psychosis in the church is to distract you from Jesus Christ. The church loves the culture, culture war because church leaders view it as a stepping stone for the church's return to the sword and their places of power in the West. It is always aiming at using politics to force people to behave in a certain way or hold to certain social values. This is an echo because this was the old way churches used to force conformity. Through threats of violence, actual violence and social exclusion, it was never about freedom. Millions and millions of people today in the West live frail and broken lives thanks to the church and the scars they received at church. Many Christians who go to church every Sunday simply don't get it. Most people in the world will never go to church and most who have and left will never return. They do not go to church because they know the people who do, and they know what they're really like when church is over and all the smiles and false piety has retreated as quickly as they do from their weekly meeting with God. Let me get to the point. Jesus doesn't care about the culture war. He's not interested in it. He doesn't take sides. He has not come to fight it. The culture war is fake. Jesus deals in reality. And we should follow him in this and have absolutely nothing to do with the culture war. Instead, we should listen to what he is saying and what he is asking us to do. Decide about who he is and why he came. The only thing we really need to know about is what Jesus said in that verse during his meal with his friends that night. Jesus made an exclusive claim about who he is and who we are in relation to him. Jesus makes it very clear that we are to either accept or reject his claim. We have experienced during the COVID hysteria what people in power mean when they speak. They usually follow up their words with threats or promises for what rewards might follow obedience. It's what people in power do. Do this or else. Or do this and you will get your freedoms back. Or here, you've been good children. We will end the lockdowns, but if you're naughty, then daddy and mummy are going to shut down society again. Jesus is not like that. He gives us a choice. Unlike people in power, 
Jesus does not lie to our face. He's up front. He tells us how it is, what the cost is, and what needs to be done. He does not hide anything, nor does he give us smooth talk, false hope, or hide the fine print. Jesus is not trying to distract us from what is important, but he is simply asking us to ponder his statement and respond accordingly. The Christian faith is not about what others do, but about your relationship with him. It is what you think of him and what he thinks of you. Jesus did not come to save nations, but people, individuals, whom he treats with respect. The culture war is about us fighting some cultural war together. Faith is about you and me, and it comes down to personal decisions about who Jesus is. No one else can make that decision for you. Many people in America say, God bless America. I do not know why they say it or why or what they mean when they say it. It's often code for membership of a particular worldview, but it's not Christian, even though many Christians believe that it is. God doesn't take sides in our petty squabbles or our national conflicts. He is no more on America's side than Russia's or China's or Australia's. Nations are nations. God, however, cares a great deal about what we think of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is his chief concern. It is why Jesus came to do the work of his Father in heaven. The relationship between Jesus and the Father is at the heart of what it means to know God and follow Jesus. What we think of Jesus is the main concern of God. Jesus also built up a culture of questioning around him. People were always comfortable asking him questions. They felt that no matter how stupid the question was, it was never stupid for Jesus. Jesus never condemned any of his disciples or his enemies for any question they asked of him. Jesus turns no one away. How much of a contrast is this today to people in power? They don't like questions. These, day, these days, many people in power condemn people for asking questions. Our democracy used to be a place where any question was permitted. But those days are gone. The days for questions are over. It is the time for loyalty tests, unquestioning obedience and silence. Is that because the writing is on the wall? Because they know our democracy will not last forever? I don't know. Democracy does have a time limit. It will eventually die. Democracy as it exists today, full of contradictions and problems, will end one day. And God is not on the side of democracy. Be careful of anyone in the church or in society who tells you that Jesus on, is on the side of democracy or any other form of government. Jesus is a breath of fresh air in a culture clothed in old memories and caked in the sweat of past anger. Because even in the church, questions are met with answers like, you need to have more faith, or you should just forgive or love others, or that's the mystery of faith. We need to know Jesus better, and in knowing him better, we can know ourselves and others. All that matters in life is what you think of him. Jesus doesn't care about our politics. He doesn't take sides. He never has and he never will. The idea that Jesus, after the resurrection, is now a man you can enlist for your political agenda is so laughable that it's tragic. He is not here to save our democracy, 
and he is not here to return your nation to its Christian roots. He is not here to bless your culture war and your latest crusade. As I said in the last episode, if you try and prop up democracy or fascism or anything in the name of Jesus, then you might find yourself fighting against God. But if the culture war, Michael, is the wrong path, then what is the right one? What is Christian fascism? How can we follow Jesus if our nation is no longer Christian? What does it mean for Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life? And how can we follow him in our world today? These are all good questions. We will look at them next week. Please go to freedommatterstoday.com and subscribe to our daily blog, fresh every morning to start your day. If you enjoyed this podcast, press the like button and subscribe. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God.